So a few weeks ago, we talked about the moment when Mary anointed Jesus' feet with a perfume that was somewhere around the cost of a year's wages. And if you'll remember, I asked you what it would be like for us if we would be willing to give up something that would cost us a year's wages. And honestly, that is something that is such a far gone thought to us. And understandably because of inflation and the way that life has changed, it takes a lot more to fund a year than it probably did in Mary's time. And we tend to be a society now that buys everything where undoubtedly Mary probably grew or provided or did most of the services that you and I spend money on. But it's not the amount of Mary's sacrifice that caught my attention. It was the fact that it was such an enormous gift that she gave. An entire year's wages. That's a lot for anybody to be able to sacrifice. And as I thought about John's gospel and where John is writing from and who John is writing to, it opened a perfect door for us to talk about, as you can guess from the video, generosity. And I know some of you are sitting here going, Matt, it is not October. It is not time for this talk. I understand what you're saying. And so today I'm not asking you to give to the church. But I want to talk about generosity in general. What does it mean to be generous and what does it mean to take the things that God gives us and to be able to give freely to somebody else? So I heard an illustration one time given in a, in a talk and I, I thought it was a phenomenal way for us to understand how the things of God are to be in our lives. And the speaker was talking about um, you know, when we think about our life, we are thinking about ourselves as a vessel. As a matter of fact, Scripture calls us a vessel, for we hold the things of God. But he said, pretend like it is a vessel of water. You have a five-gallon bucket that you fill up with water. If the water stays in that bucket, what's going to happen after a while? It's going to get some dust in it. It's going to get some dirt in it. It's going to turn stagnant. And in this part of the world, it's going to get mosquitoes in it very quickly. And so water that was once good is after a while no longer good. And he said sometimes that is how we as Christians take the blessings and the things that God gives us, those moments of clarity, those little tidbits of things that we learn in Scripture, those things that we experience about God that opens up our, our eyes to who he is on a larger scale than what we once thought of. But we take those things of God, those blessings, and we tend to keep them in our bucket because it is important for us that our bucket stays full. Any self-help book you read is going to tell you that you need to maintain your bucket. If you have anybody that's helping you with your retirement account, they're going to talk about your bucket and how you need to put into your bucket so that later you will have. Well, the crazy thing is, is that when we become believers in Jesus Christ, it is no longer our responsibility to fill our bucket. Don't nobody go out and blow your retirement saying, well, the preacher told me to do it. That's not what I'm saying. Listen to me. When God is our savior, when God is the one that we depend on for our safety and our security, 
then we are going to function a little bit different than if we alone are responsible for how our future turns out. Because we understand that not only do we live in the present, but we are people who live for the future, that eternity with God. You ever heard the saying that you, you might as well spend it now because you can't take it with you when you go? I've never seen a U-Haul on the back of a hearse. You've heard those sayings before? So the greatest joke ever, I gotta tell you this. So one time this really rich guy died and he went to heaven and he was at the pearly gates waiting to get in and, and St. Peter was looking at him and he had this big old backpack. And he's like, what, what's in the backpack? He said, well, there's nothing in it yet, but I was just wondering, look, I, I did a lot of cool stuff in my life, had a lot of adventures and I, I really built up a really good life for myself. And I, I know it's heaven and I know everything is better here, but can I just take like one little thing like as a, as a souvenir? And St. Peter's like, sure, why not? You know, whatever you need to do. So the guy goes off and he comes back and his backpack's a little bit heavier. And, and Peter's like, okay, look, I got enough. He didn't last long, did he? Peter's like, I got to know. You're coming to heaven where the angels are, where you, you understand all the mysteries and the things of God. And you had to take something with you. I got to know what it is. What was so awesome from your life that it needs to go with you to heaven for eternity. And so the guy gets this big smile and he opens up his backpack. And in the bottom of it is this brick of pure, solid gold. No blemishes whatsoever. No impurities whatsoever. It's perfectly shaped. I mean, just gorgeous and shiny. And St. Peter stands there for a minute and he looks at him and he said... I don't get it. You talked about all these adventures, all these amazing things you did, and you brought pavement? <laughs> but you see, sometimes that's how we, we think about our, our situation and where we are. We want to keep the things that we have worked for, the things that we have built up, the things that we think we have earned on our own, the things that are precious to us, and we don't allow God to be our provider. We say in church, you know, God is our provider, God has blessed me, but we know at the end of the day that we're going to sit here and go, this is because I'm such a hard worker, or this is because I'm a responsible being, or on the other flip side, I really wish I could learn to do this a little better. But you see, the things of God and the blessings of God and the wisdom of God, that's why I'm always telling you, if God's taught you something, tell us about it. We need to know what God has told you. It's designed not to be as something that we keep in our bucket. But as the video said, it is something that is supposed to pass through us. You remember when, that Sunday when we talked and we said that each one of us is here because somebody told us about Jesus? Every person sitting in this room and every person that will ever sit in this room is a direct result of somebody passing along something that Jesus has done in their life. So when we think of generosity... We have to think about it in the terms of whether or not we are keeping things in our bucket for our own safety and security or whether we are trusting God enough to allow the things that he gives us to be passed down to somebody else. And I'm not just talking about finances, but I am talking about the way we prioritize our time, the way we prioritize why we come to church. I was talking to my 
college roommate, Tony, and I hope y'all get to meet Tony sometime. I think he's one of the coolest cats in the world. He's a, a captain in the Air Force now. He just finished up a tour in, North, in South Korea, not North Korea, we don't go there, um, South Korea, and he is going to England next year, which throws a, a wrench in my camping plans. He's my camping buddy. But we were talking the other day, and he was telling me about um, this church that they were going to there and how some people were nervous because they were leaving because both him and his wife are Sunday school teachers. And he told me this discussion he had with some guys in his prayer group. He, he said, I don't go to church for myself on Sundays anymore. He said, church on Sundays is for the good of all of us who are gathered. So it is my job on Sunday to share what God is doing in my life, to encourage other people and to serve so that other people can grow in their relationship with Christ. He said, my time of growing is what I do each day. And he said, I think that is a key thing that we're missing. So generosity doesn't just reach into our pocketbooks, but it reaches into the mindset by which we approach every day of our life. Because did you know that God created you to be a vessel through which he can pass through? Something about that great commission of go and tell the world, go and make disciples. What Jesus has done in you is to be the way that you influence other people. So I want to share with you some statistics of what generosity does for us. Before we jump into scripture, just real quick. Studies have found that people are happier when spending money on others than on themselves. I know people that just like to spend money. They don't care whose money it is and who it's going to. They just like to spend it. This happiness motivates them to be generous in the future. And even small acts of kindness, like picking up something someone else has dropped, is able to increase the happiness that someone feels during their day. That was, made, or that was a study done by the Greater Good Science Center at the University of California, Berkeley. And then Lisa Firestone, who has a PhD, wrote an article in PsychAlive magazine that a 2003 research study at the University of Michigan revealed like just like a healthy diet, exercise, and good genetics, generosity has been shown to increase a person's lifespan. The positive effects of generosity include improving one's mental health and physical health and promoting longevity. So we were created in such a way to be generous that it has physical effects on our being. God designed us and God created us in that way. There are now studies that suggest one of the biggest benefactors of generosity, or benefactors of generosity is the person who is dishing it out. Have you ever thought about it that way? Somebody's in need, somebody steps in to help them and the one that benefits the most is the one that steps in to help. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever tried that? I'll tell you, that's the best feeling in the world. When you're having a crummy day and you realize somebody else's day was a lot worse than yours, your day doesn't seem that bad all of a sudden. It's the way that God designed us. Because if you think about what God created us for, it was not to exist in and of ourselves, was it? It was for community, to be in relationship with him and with one another. So it makes sense if we're going to look at biblical understandings of why we were created. Another study in Michigan uh, traced 2,700 people over 10 years and researchers found that men who did regular volunteer work had death rates that were two and a half times lower than men who didn't. Did you hear that guys? OMP's coming up this summer and I want you to, uh, I want you to live a long time. 
and, and we need your help. We've, we've got a lot of projects to go on, but you're guaranteed, you're not guaranteed, but it's a good chance that you live two and a half times longer than you, than you usually would or chances of it. Generosity can help reduce stress, support physical health, and enhance one's sense of purpose. Have you ever thought about generosity just from a purely physical beneficial standpoint? No, we don't because sometimes we, we take generosity and we tie it into church only. And when we talk about giving, that's when the preacher's going after our 10%. You know, that has been one of the biggest conversations that church people have had over finances is, is it 10% or is it more than 10%? Is it less than 10%? You know, and then you have people go, well, well God says just be a cheerful giver. That's right. And we're going to look at that passage of scripture today. But there's a direct benefit through the way that we are generous with what God is doing. Again, not just our finances. That time that you spend with Jesus every morning, that time that you have grown to where you love it and you love the way that God is revealing things about himself to you. Did you know that God amplifies that even more when you are willing to share that with somebody else? Why do you think the disciples were able to continue telling about Jesus in the midst of persecution? Because they saw how effective it was. Because they have seen what Jesus Christ has accomplished and that gave them what was necessary to continue passing it on. You know, one of the biggest things you can do when you doubt your faith is to share it. And then God does something amazing that we would never expect for God to do. So if you've got your Bibles with you, I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians. We're going to spend a little bit of time here uh, in Paul's letter to this church, mainly in chapters 8 and chapters 9. Uh, and we're going to talk about, from the standpoint of an agricultural aspect, about generosity. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul is writing to this young church about their support for a group of young Jewish believers in Jerusalem who were in need. Do you remember in John's gospel who he was writing to? A group of young Jewish believers who, because of their new faith in Jesus Christ, had lost everything. They'd been cast out of their communities. They'd been cut off from their parents' wills. Everything that they had had and known was no more. So you would say they were probably in need, huh? So Paul calls out to the other Christian believers to answer in that time of need. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to read the entire verse. I know it sounds scary, but it's only 15 verses. We can do this. Here we go. I really don't need to write to you about this ministry of giving for the believers in Jerusalem, for I know how eager you are to help. And I've been boasting to the churches in Macedonia that you and Greece were ready to send an offering a year ago. In fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of the Macedonian believers to begin giving. Do you see that right there? Their excitement caused excitement in somebody else. But I'm sending these brothers to be sure that you really are ready as I have been telling them, and I don't want, and, I, and that your money is all collected. I don't want you to be wrong, and I don't want to be wrong in my boasting about you. 
we would be embarrassed not to mention your own embarrassment. If some Macedonian believers came with me and found that you weren't ready after all that I had told them. So I thought I should send these brothers ahead of me to make sure that the gifts that you promised are ready. But I want it to be a willing gift and not a gift given grudgingly. Remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all that you need, and then you will always have everything you need, and you will have plenty of leftover to share with others. Just as the scriptures say, they share freely and they give generously to the poor and their good deeds will be remembered forever. For it is God who is the one who provides seed for the farmer and the bread to eat. And in the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will give thanks to God. So two good things will have resulted from the ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. And as a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all who b believe will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace that God has given to you. Thank God for this gift. It is too wonderful for words. So I noticed a few things about Paul there. Paul's a pretty sharp character. He said, I'm going to go ahead and send some people to you now to give you a heads up that the gift that you have promised is coming due. Isn't that good of Paul to remind people of what they had committed themselves to? That's good of him, isn't it? Don't you wish the IRS or somebody would do something like that? They just throw it out on you and you've, you've got to catch up with it. But Paul was a good dude. He sent people ahead of him. But he, he did something in doing that. He, one, he gave them time to get ready if they weren't ready, which is good. We don't want to throw things on people. But two, he was urging them to put their money where their mouth was. They had talked a big game of this gift that they were going to give, and they had seemed excited about it. And so Paul had used that excitement to encourage other people who had followed through with that excitement. And Paul didn't want them to look silly. And so he sends these people to help them get ready and to make sure everything is ready to go as it would. Because sometimes it is hard to follow through when we say that we're going to give something to God that is going to cost us. Wouldn't you agree? We volunteer for something. Like, it won't be that bad. But then as we think about it, kids stink. Their hands are sticky. They might say something that embarrasses me. I don't want to do it now. But Paul was doing a good job of holding them accountable to what they claimed that they said they were and what they would do. And so Paul talks about it is God who first gives us the things that we need in the first place. And I love that he used the farming illustration because it's something that people then would understand and it's something people here today will understand. When a farmer gets ready to plant his crop, and if I'm wrong, don't tell me now, you can tell me later, don't make me look bad in front of everybody. When a farmer gets ready to plant his crops, his number one goal that he looks at is the end result. What his goals are for the year. 
If Mr. Claude wants to take cows to market, he's gonna say, if I'm gonna take 300 cows to market, I need to have the ability to feed those cows, to get those cows, all at the beginning of the year. But his goal has already been set. And that is what Paul is telling the believer when it comes to generosity here. In this case, it is financially. But it's the same with our time. It's the same with our talents. It's the same with our responsibilities. What we hope to get out of an experience must be the goal. And then we must put in the work in order to reach that goal. So if your goal as a believer is to grow in a relationship with Christ, you must put things in your life that will facilitate that growth. If your goal as a believer is to experience absolutely nothing of Jesus whatsoever along the journey, that's a pretty easy goal to meet. But when Paul talks about generosity and what we've learned from these statistics on generosity, is that if that is our design and that is our function, and if that is what Jesus Christ has called us to, then we should be willing and wanting to order our lives in such a way that we can fulfill that. Paul says, as a matter of fact, that that excitement should be what motivates us. So if our goal is to learn more about Jesus Christ and to grow in Jesus Christ, it should be our excitement about that growth that puts the things in our lives in order that we would chase after that. So if a farmer fails to plant seeds, there will be no crop. And a seed deposited in the ground is an investment made in a faithful expectation of reaping something much more significant. Paul says that the gifts we give now are small compared to what God is going to do in the return. When you plant corn, what do you do? You take one kernel of corn, you stick it in the ground, and what happens? It grows a whole plant. And I just learned this last year that one corn stalk only produces one ear of corn. Did you know that? That seems like a ripoff. There should be like three or four on those jokers. But you think about one kernel producing a whole ear of corn. That's a big payoff, isn't it? Or a soybean plant. You plant one bean and you get a whole bush full of soybeans. It is the same way if we take something that God has given us and we give it back to God through our generosity. Matter of fact, God even tells us to test him. But think about it this way. One hour a week. If you gave one hour a week for the sake of sharing with somebody else what Jesus Christ has done in your life, you know what's going to happen? You're going to get excited at the fact that they got excited. And because they got excited, you're going to get more excited about something you can do to help make them even more excited. So you're going to be spending even more time investing in that because you want to see that continue. And the whole time that their faith is growing, God is growing your faith. And the things that you are learning to teach them, God is making come alive and God is, is giving breath to things that were once thought, to things that were only ideas or things that we had been told. God makes them become a reality for us. But the world doesn't tell us that. 
The world always tells us, me first, I'm number one, take care of yourself. But there is nowhere in scripture where that is what Jesus tells us to do. Matter of fact, he tells us to deny ourselves, to go without things that we would like or things that we feel that we need and to take up a cross. He says, if you're going to follow me, it is going to be the same as taking up a cross. Because while it may be nice to have that luxury, it could meet a need that somebody else had. And because you are willing to trust God enough to sacrifice for the sake of somebody else, God said, don't worry, I'm going to take care of you. So my challenge for you today is this. Do you give anything? Again, we're not just talking about money and I'm not talking about to the church. Do you give anything for the sake of somebody else? Do you give money to anybody else? Do you give your time serving for the sake of somebody else's good? Do you share your talents? I know somebody in here can play a guitar or a piano or something. A kazoo, maybe? But do you give? Or are you so worried about that water staying in your bucket so that your bucket is full so that you always have? So let's take that bucket scenario again. You've got bucket over here that's just water sitting in it, saving it for a rainy day. Not a rainy day. The opposite of rainy day. And then you have a bucket over here that has a hole in the bottom, which makes no sense. That's kind of counterproductive to what the world tells us a bucket is supposed to do. But pretend there is a continual source pouring into it. See, the bucket over there is full. It can't handle anymore. It can't process any more water. It can't contain anymore. But this bucket over here, because of that hole, is always accepting fresh water. And over time, it will create a, a vertex or a swirly thing in the water is what we call it when the bathtub's going down. And that water will begin to circulate in that bucket and will begin to flow through that bucket onto the next place it is supposed to go. And so the water in that particular bucket is always fresh. It's always moving. And nothing settles in that bucket like mosquitoes or silt or trash. But instead, the water is always clean. The water is always moving. That is the way that God has designed you to contain the things that he gives the wisdom that he shares, the blessings that he shares, the gifts, the talents, your time on this earth. Do you know that each one of us have days that are numbered? Proverbs, there's a verse that says, teach us to number our days that we might present to you a heart of wisdom. Meaning that help us to realize we're not gonna live on this earth for forever and to do something with it. So my challenge for you is this, to ask yourself, do you give anything? And why do you give? If you say, yeah, I give, why do you do it? What is your joy in giving? Is there joy in giving or is it because I was told to or because it's a good tax write-off? God wants you to say, give joyfully, not grudgingly. 
And then finally, do you give because you're trying to cut a deal with God? I messed up, but I'll give a little bit more to the children's ministry, so God will take care of that. I know they need help, but I'll write a bigger check. It'll all be good. Or do you give because you know and you have experienced the unmerited goodness of God in your life? And we go back to Mary. Mary gave what she had because Jesus was worth it. Jesus was worth everything that she could have lived off of for an entire year. Jesus was so worth it, she wasn't even prepared for it. She didn't bring a towel, so she had to wipe his feet with her hair. She didn't think about the cost before she did it. She knew that Jesus was worth it, and that's all she needed to know. So when you think about generosity, I want you to hear those words, that Jesus is worth it. That's the only thing that you need to remember because Jesus will take care of the other details. Jesus said, don't worry about what it costs you because I'm going to take care of you. Jesus said, don't worry about what it looks like to the world because you are not of this world. Jesus said, don't trust in yourself, but trust in me because my ways are higher than your ways. So do you give joyfully? Do you give because you've experienced God's goodness in your life? And here's the deal. If you want to experience God's goodness in your life, that harvest, you got to plant for it. Get yourself out of the way. Get your security out of the way. Get the things that you feel that you need to do and accomplish for yourself out of the way and let Jesus actually do something. Because we were designed to be generous people. We weren't designed to live and function for ourselves. We were built for community, for relationship, and for living for the sake of the people to our right and to our left. So share what Jesus has done in your life. Tell people about the goodness of Jesus Christ. Tony Evans said, when you are characterized by spiritual satisfaction, and a true understanding and an appreciation of the grace of Jesus Christ, then giving of all that you have so that the work of the Lord may be done will be something that you are excited to do every day of your life. As we go out to be the church, let us live not for the sake of our own selves and our security, but so that people will hear the message of Jesus Christ and will come to realize that he is a God who gives freely and is a God who wants to bless those who will come to him. Will you join me as I pray? Father God, we thank you for the word that you have given us this morning. God, we thank you for the testimony of Paul and for the witness that Paul had that he would be able to share the intentions of your heart. God, that you came not so that people would hear and come to believe and continue to exist as they had been, but God, that you had sent your son, Jesus Christ, that we might hear and that we might become the people you created us to be. People that don't live according to a fallen and broken world, but who have set their standards on a God who is holy, on a God who is just and demands 
righteousness. So God, I ask this morning that you would help us to become people who are joyfully generous, generous in sharing what you have done in our lives, generous in sharing the talents and the gifts that you have blessed us with, generous in sharing the experiences that you have allowed us to have on this time here. And God, help us to realize that we have a privilege of taking part in the work of Jesus Christ in the lives of those around us. And we pray that you would help us to respond with joy and excitement because of the grace that we have received. We pray all this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.